Hey everyone, I am so grateful to be a part of your spiritual journey today, and I love being a part of Christ's community. We are a group of ordinary people who want to follow Jesus. And for us, following Jesus involves um, growing in three things, intimacy with him, being connected in community, and compassionately moving toward a hurting world. Um, and we, we want to provide, we as a church, we want to provide ways for people to grow in these things. And so we have recently developed a couple of kind of discipleship courses for that purpose. One is called Moving Toward a Hurting World, which will focus in practical ways on how we can grow and impacting people for Jesus. Um, that course is for anyone, and it'll start Tuesday, April 6th in the evenings, go for eight weeks. The other um, is a nine-week course that I'm going to be leading um, for men, on Tuesday mornings, it's called Experiencing Intimacy with Jesus, and it will also start April 6th. Again, both of these courses are designed to help us follow Jesus better. There's more information about them um, on our app or in our newsletter. Also, Holy Week begins next Sunday, um, and we encourage you to open your heart to the presence of Jesus that week. We will have Good Friday service and Easter services, plus we're going to have an opportunity for us as a church to seek the Lord afresh in prayer that week. We've divided the week into 30-minute increments, and we invite you to sign up for one of those time slots so that prayer is happening throughout the week. We've also created a prayer guide for you to use if you want, which focuses on our Easter theme this year, which is all things new. There are more details about that as well in our on our app or in our e-newsletter. I just encourage you to be a part of these opportunities. Okay, so so I've been watching The Chosen, which is a crowdfunded video series on the life of Jesus. That is pretty amazing. A friend of mine who's watching it told me the other day, I'm falling in love with Jesus again. I mean, it is that powerful. And so I want us to watch a, a short video clip of Jesus calling the tax collector Matthew to follow him. And in this encounter, Jesus says something that not only encapsulates his life, but it also encapsulates the teaching series that we're in. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. 
No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. I love Jesus' response when one of the disciples says to him, this is different. And Jesus says, get used to different. You know, we're in the midst of a teaching series where we're walking through a sermon Jesus gave in which he describes what it looks like to live as people of his kingdom. And I feel like the heading for this entire section of scripture should be get used to different. The kingdom that Jesus is calling us to is nothing like the kingdom of this world. The world says, blessed are the self-sufficient. Jesus says, blessed are the spiritual failures, the poor in spirit. The world says, blessed are those who never experienced loss or disappointment. Jesus says, blessed are those who feel grief. The world, the kingdom of the world says, the loudest and the, the most forceful will gain influence. Jesus says, those who exude gentleness will inherit the earth. If we are serious about following Jesus, we need to get used to different. Jesus invites us to a different way of living, a way that he describes as blessed. This is the way to experience fullness of life, but it is very different than how the world urges us to live. And so today we're continuing to explore Jesus' description of the kingdom in Matthew chapters five to seven. And we come to another very countercultural value. Look with me at Matthew five, verse seven. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. I mean, how often do you hear that word on the news? <laughs> how often do you see that word on just social media? We, we live in a culture that in many ways is embracing the opposite of mercy. We, we live in a culture of offense, where if someone offends us, we retaliate. We, we live in a culture that's becoming more and more polarized and tribal. We can only listen to like-minded people who agree with us, and we tend to vilify those who don't agree with us. And, and I mean, this has impacted us at the deepest levels. I've heard of numerous families who no longer talk to each other. They are so divided over political issues or whatever that they can't even be in the same room. See, this is what happens when the kingdom of this world is embraced, a power over kingdom, a kingdom where I am king. It's my way or the highway. If you don't agree with me, we're done talking. See, the result of that kingdom is relational devastation and, 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 and polarization and bitterness and anger. Jesus invites us to pursue a, a different way of living, one that actually has the power to bring healing to this broken culture that we see all around us. And that way is the way of mercy. Blessed 
are the merciful. So let's start by talking about what this word mercy means. What does it look like to be merciful? Now, as I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, one of the best ways, if you're doing Bible study, one of the best ways to discover the meaning of a particular word in the Bible is to see how that word is used elsewhere in that same book. And so what we see in the book of Matthew is that Matthew uses this word mercy in three different ways, each of which shows us a different facet of mercy. So the first is a story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18 about a king who wanted to settle his accounts with those who owed him money. And so he brought in a servant who owed him a boatload of cash. I mean, 10,000 bags of gold. In today's currency, that'd be like a million dollars. Okay, so this, this servant couldn't pay. And so the king ordered him and his family to be thrown in prison until the debt was paid. But the man begged the king to give him more time. And the king did the unthinkable. He didn't just give him more time. He actually canceled the debt completely. Now, that would have been an amazing end to the story, but Jesus wasn't done with the story because that same servant then went out and he found someone who owed him 20 bucks and he demanded payment. And when that guy begged him for more time using the exact same words he used with the king, this servant refused and he threw the man in jail. Well, when the king heard about this, he was not happy. He called the servant in and he said this, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Jesus uses the same word here as in Matthew 5 verse 7. So here's the first thing we learn about what mercy looks like. Mercy is canceling the debt of someone who hurt us. See, this is, this is the most foundational understanding of mercy. It's pardon. It's forgiveness. I mean, this is what forgiveness is. It is canceling a debt. You see, when someone hurts us, they owe us. They are in debt to us, whether they realize it or not. They're, they're in debt to us. So mercy is the act of choosing to cancel their debt. It's the decision on our part to choose to cancel their debt. It, it, it's a choice we make to let go of our right to retaliate, to, to let go of our right to continue to hold this offense against this person. See, from, from the perspective of the kingdom of the world, this makes no sense. If I'm king, I'm making sure I get what is owed me. But in the kingdom of God, we're not king. God is. And God is just like the king in the story Jesus told. He is rich in mercy. Through the voluntary sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, God forgives us for our million dollar spiritual debt, even though we don't deserve it. This kind of mercy is part and parcel to the kingdom of God. This kind of mercy is the, the currency in the kingdom of God. It's the oxygen in the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. On October 2nd, 2006, 32-year-old Charles Roberts walked into the Nickel Mines Amish schoolhouse. He tied up 10 young girls and he shot them before shooting himself. Five children were dead. Five others were injured but survived. The grief and pain in that Amish community were beyond description. 
But something else happened that was also beyond description, at least from the world's perspective. Forgiveness. This Amish, this, this Amish community began a journey of forgiveness. On the day of the killings, members of the community took food to the shooter's widow, who was not Amish. Six days after the shooting, the family of the shooter, Charles Roberts, that, that his family had a private graveside service. As they gathered there for their private graveside service, 40 people from that Amish community, including some who had buried their daughters, came to support the shooter's family. The mother of the shooter later said, love just emanated from them. As money came in from around the world for this community, much of it was given to support. The community decided that much of it was given to support the shooter's widow and young children. The entire Amish, that entire Amish community acknowledged that forgiveness was not easy, but they also acknowledged that to not forgive would be more devastating. They viewed forgiveness as the one good thing that could come out of this tragedy. Today, the mother of the shooter regularly volunteers to go read to and bathe one of the children that was most severely disabled by her son's shooting spree. The mercy of forgiveness is everywhere in that story. The world was shocked by this community's response. At a worldly level, it made no sense, but it wasn't of this world. It wasn't of the kingdom of this world. It was a decision made to live according to a different kingdom, a kingdom whose atmosphere is saturated with mercy because the king in that kingdom is merciful to us. Now, this kind of mercy doesn't take away the pain, but it stopped the cycle of bitterness and revenge that would have eaten that community alive. The mercy of forgiveness brings relationships together in a supernatural way. And because of that, it shines incredibly brightly in a polarized, angry culture like ours. Now, I know that's a pretty dramatic example, but the principle applies to each one of us as well. Where in our lives... Where in our relationships is the mercy of forgiveness needed to bring healing, to stop a destructive cycle of bitterness in a work relationship, in a, in a friendship, in, a, in our marriage? Where, where is mercy needed to stop that destructive cycle of bitterness? Who does God want us to forgive a second description of what mercy looks like is found in Matthew 20, where two blind men are sitting by the road, experiencing utter darkness. When they heard that Jesus was going by, we read in Matthew 20, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. They weren't asking for forgiveness. They were asking for help. See, this is another very important facet of biblical mercy. Mercy is meeting a need of someone who is suffering. These men were in misery and they were crying out to Jesus to help alleviate their suffering. And what's so sad is that the crowd who had gathered 
you know, to see Jesus come into town. The, the, the crowd that had gathered was shouting at these two men to shut up. They, they were rebuking these blind men for calling out to Jesus for help, that they had no mercy. The crowd had no mercy. But Matthew tells us that Jesus stopped. He asked these two, men, two blind men what they wanted. This is what we read. Lord, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received sight and followed him. Now, we may be thinking to ourselves, oh, if, if I could heal someone like that, I'd be happy to offer mercy. But that's to miss the point. The, the, the crowd could have offered mercy by really seeing these men in their need and, and helping them get to Jesus. I mean, that, that, they could have offered mercy that way. Just help them get to Jesus. I mean, mercy, really, mercy is, is the simple act of doing what we can to alleviate someone else's suffering, even if it is simply offering someone a cup of cold water on a hot day. See, it's not, it's not just about the water. It's about seeing someone, seeing their need and offering what we have. I remember a friend of mine telling me about how in the midst of the COVID restrictions and realities of last summer, he, he wanted his garbage men to know that he saw them and that he appreciated what they did. And so he, on the day of the, the garbage man came to his house. He left them some cookies and a thank you note. Now, that wasn't a huge sacrifice, but I'm, I'm guessing these guys get very little affirmation for what they do, even though we are all very grateful for what they do. To be merciful is to see the needs of people around us, the needs that are obvious, as well as the needs that are below the surface and not articulated, and to respond to those needs with the resources we have I mean, this kind of mercy requires us to slow down enough to see, to really see the people around us and to understand the suffering that they may be experiencing. I mean, sometimes I like to walk fast. I like to drive fast. You know, I'm just, I just kind of do everything fast. Sometimes I think my tendency to always be in a hurry is a subtle way to insulate me from the reality of seeing people's pain. Because in seeing their pain, I'm invited by Jesus to do something in response, something that looks like mercy. So to, let me just ask, to whom in your circle of influence is Jesus inviting you to show mercy in their suffering and need? Well, a third aspect of mercy that Matthew reveals is found in the episode we saw earlier on the video where in Matthew 9, <clears throat> Matthew describes how Jesus called him. And what made that so, what makes that so shocking was that Matthew, again, was a tax collector. And, and, and thus he was hated by the Jews. You could tell by the disciples' response. Um, the, the, the Jews hated them because tax collectors had this cozy and very lucrative relationship to Rome. So when Jesus calls him to follow, and then he has a party at Matthew's house where all of Matthew's tax collector buddies are chowing down. It, cre it created quite a stir, not only among the disciples, but also the Pharisees, the religious leaders. We read here in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you hear the heart beneath that question? It's a heart of judgment. These people don't deserve to be treated this way. They don't deserve to be in the same room with holy people like us. 
See, this is what judgment does to our hearts. It causes us to separate ourselves from and look down on those that we deem unworthy or unacceptable or immoral or wrong. So how does Jesus respond? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, we got to understand, this was a total slap in the face to those Pharisees. Because he's saying to these religious leaders, go and learn what this means. And then he, he quotes a scripture that they were very familiar with. I mean, he's basically saying, you professors need to go back to Religion 101 as students and retake the class. Because you totally missed the point. Mercy is the point. In other words, God doesn't want us to look down on and stay away from those that we deem as immoral or confused or lost or rude or misguided or those whose lifestyles are offensive to us. No, he wants us to love them, to hang out with them on their turf rather than expecting them to clean up their lives so that they can look more acceptable on our turf. This is the third aspect of mercy that Matthew reveals. Mercy It's treating with kindness and value anyone that we or our tribe deems undeserving. See, who who do you feel is unworthy of your time, your respect, your love, your value? It could be someone who is living a lifestyle you feel is immoral or someone who attends political rallies for causes you think are misguided. It could be someone you have made a judgment against because of their skin color, black, brown, or white, or because of some personality trait that annoys you. See, the reality is we make judgments about people all the time. Oh, that person is so, you know, fill in the blank, self-centered, arrogant, rude, lazy, wrong. But here's what we often don't realize. When we make a judgment against a person, that, that judgment impacts our relationship with that person. We start looking for things they do that confirm the judgment we've already made, which then just, oh, there they do it again, right? Which just deepens our contempt for them. And it causes us to withdraw from them. And then we end up spreading our negative views about them to other people so they can then judge them as well. It is a horrible Um, subtle and yet destructive practice that is deeply rooted in ourselves and our culture. So how do we break this cycle? Mercy. Mercy. Choosing to treat these people with value and kindness rather than with distance and judgment. That one decision is so incredibly powerful. In fact, James says it this way, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We need that. Our culture needs that. Our relationships need that. If we truly want people to come to Christ, we have got to put on mercy. We have got to learn what this means, that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy is the atmosphere that saturates the kingdom of God. Mercy is the operating system in the kingdom of God. The question is, are we demonstrating mercy through forgiveness, 
through acts of kindness toward those who are suffering, through loving those and hanging out with those with whom we disagree. Are we doing that or are we being unmerciful and cultivating bitterness, self-centeredness, judgment? The thing about mercy is that when it is given, it expands in influence. And in fact, notice what Jesus says here in this verse. He says that those who are merciful will be shown mercy. See, that this reveals the multiplying impact of mercy. Mercy breeds mercy. Those who receive mercy, give mercy. Those who give mercy, receive mercy. Not always, but it, 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 it fosters an atmosphere, an environment of reciprocating mercy. Again, mercy is the operating principle in the kingdom of God. So that, that raises the question, how do we grow in this? How do we grow in mercy? <clears throat> it's interesting, really, that all three of the passages we looked at today reveal in their own way the same answer to that question. So here's the answer. Our ability to be merciful to others, it flows out of our receiving God's mercy toward us. When we hear that about that story of the guy whose million-dollar debt was canceled, and then he goes out and demands a $20 payment from someone else— when we read about that or we hear that story, everything within us just screams, that is so wrong. But then, of course, we look at ourselves and how we have received from God mercies that total in the spiritual millions, and yet we so quickly withhold mercy from others who hurt us or who are in need or whose lifestyle offends us. I mean, really, it's painful to admit, but we have got to see this. Friends, the way to become more merciful is not by trying harder to, be, to do better. You know, what we need is a mercy explosion in our own heart. We need to see afresh ourselves in light of Jesus' mercy toward us. And look, I'm not just talking about us being able to give the superficial Sunday school answer, oh, Jesus has forgiven me, right? We can all say that. I'm not talking just about that. I'm talking about that place where we are confronted with the ugliness of our sinfulness and self-centeredness. And in the midst of deep guilt and shame and sorrow and remorse, we encounter God's mercy in a real way. We encounter him seeing us and canceling our huge debt and offering us what our heart needs in that moment rather than what we deserve. And that experience changes how we view and treat other people who wrong us, who offend us, who are in need around us. <clears throat> I remember an experience where I had blown it in an area of my life again, right? And, and was feeling so ashamed and just disappointed in myself. I felt like such a failure. I, I So I, I dragged myself to my prayer time, but feeling the weight of my you know shame and wondering if God had decided, you know, he had better things to do than hang out with someone like me. And as I, as I sat there trying to pray, I, I remembered the scripture from Hebrews chapter four. Check this out. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In that moment, I called out to God for mercy. And I knew in my spirit that because of Jesus, he had heard my prayer. He wrapped his arms of love around me and he met me in that place. I didn't deserve that response, but he gave it to me. And in that moment, his mercy became more than a Sunday school answer. It, it, it became life to my soul. So how could I then withhold mercy from anyone else that I encountered that day? How could I withhold mercy from anyone I encountered that day when I had received his mercy in such a powerful way? When we allow the mercy of God to explode afresh in our soul, it changes the way we see the people around us. You know, we, we start to realize that everyone has a battle they're fighting. Everyone has a burden they're carrying. Everyone has a deep longing to be seen, to be accepted, to be loved. And as recipients of the ocean of God's mercy in Christ, we have the privilege of offering that abundant mercy to everyone around us. And in doing so, we help break destructive cycles of bitterness and contempt. And we help bring healing to this very broken planet. Mercy is a far more powerful force than the kingdom of this world because mercy triumphs over hatred. It triumphs over pride. It triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. So I want to encourage you wherever you are, watching this, listening to this, I want to encourage you. I want us to begin this response time. I want to encourage all of us just to stop for a moment here. And I want us to examine our own heart and life before the Lord. And here, here's the question. Where do we need God's mercy? In our impatience, in our greed, our lust, our deception, our secret sins, our gossip, our judgmental attitudes. We, we don't deserve God's mercy, but he gives it to us in Christ. Jesus on the cross paid the debt we should have paid. And so I, I want you, I want you to, I want to invite you right now just to, in the silence of your heart, just confess these things to the Lord as he brings them to mind. Confess them specifically to the Lord and receive his mercy. Jesus forgives your sin completely. He doesn't hold this over you any longer. In fact, I want you to imagine, imagine him lifting the burden of your sin. You get this sin, you hand it to him. He lifts the burden. He carries it on his shoulders and then he drops it 
in an ocean of mercy. Just watch him do that. Then watch it disappear. Now I want you to just to sit for a moment in his mercy. Your debt is canceled. If you try to confess it again, he won't even remember what you're confessing. It's, it's gone. His heart towards you is a heart of mercy. And so in light of that, I want us right now just to receive the Lord's Supper. Wherever you're watching, feel free to hit pause and go get some bread and then some wine or juice so that we can partake of the Lord's Supper together. So once you have the bread, as you're holding it, Jesus, we remember that you gave your life for us. You gave your life. This bread represents, it symbolizes your life given for us. And we're grateful. We receive this. We eat this in remembrance of you. Now you can take the juice. which represents Jesus' blood shed for us. We didn't deserve this, but he gave his life so that we could enter into a new covenant with God, a relationship with God that's not based on our performance. Jesus, we didn't deserve this, but we thank you for giving your life for us. And we drink this in remembrance of you and in an acknowledgement of the forgiveness that you offer us. So now, in light of his mercy, we've just experienced that together. In light of his mercy given to you, I, wanna, I want you to ask and think about this. Where is he inviting you to extend mercy to someone else? Maybe it's someone that he's asking you to forgive Are you willing to go there with him, with his help? And break the cycle, the destructive cycle of bitterness. This may be too short a time for you to go there. I just want to encourage you to go there. At some point, maybe after this is all over, you turn off and you choose to forgive it doesn't mean excusing what they've done. It doesn't mean forgetting what they've done. You choose to bring that offense to the cross and you cancel the debt. You let go of that. You let Jesus take care of that. So God, I want to pray for anyone who needs to forgive. Give them the grace to forgive. Give us the grace to forgive those who have hurt us. The second question here. Where is Jesus inviting you to extend mercy by meeting a need of someone who is suffering around you? Holy Spirit, bring to our mind 
someone that needs our mercy in a tangible way. Help us to slow down and see and respond to those needs with the resources we have. And then finally, where is he inviting you to extend his mercy by treating with kindness and value anyone that we or our tribe deems undeserving? Anyone we've looked down upon, we've withdrawn from because of our disagreements. Holy Spirit, continue to speak to us about these specific people in our lives, these opportunities we have to extend mercy to these people. Thank you for the mercy you've given us, and may we be instruments of your mercy toward everyone around us. For your glory, we ask it. In Jesus' name.